Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, nine years running, nine years later, the Kanasevich Kurtz is still going strong. The Hawk is still dead. They are dead, beaten to a pulp, and it was a pretty satisfying win, all things considered. A little, a little too close for comfort, kind of like last year, but, you know, you pull away, win by 20. Didn't cover, but still still a prominent win, dominating win. Yeah, it was a little weird in the first half. St. Joe's got a little too crazy with their threes, played some pretty good defense. I'll give them credit for that. But second half, Villanova just turned it on, went on a huge 17-2 to run to just gain separation. Then from there, it didn't matter how many threes or whatever shots St. Joe's was able to get at the end. Villanova had that nice, healthy lead, held on for the win. Nine straight years where Villanova has now won the Holy War. Always a great thing. Always a great thing. It is. It is. Get the big five first win out of the way. You know, probably going to win another big five championship. I don't know if it'll actually count this year, though, because Penn is out of the running, obviously. But we all wish it was Virginia, but we'll take what we can get. And anytime you can beat your rival down by 20 points, you, you take it. Big five, it's definitely looking a little weird this year. This game was supposed to happen earlier in the season. Got postponed due to a COVID-related shutdown over at St. Joe's. We were able to bring it back on the schedule. However, Chris, I know there was a part of you that was a little upset. You saw what Virginia did right after our game got canceled. Yeah, going over there. That was calling up Mark Few over there in Washington, getting a game set up right after Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I, mean, <laughs> I, I get. Look, I get it. I get why the Virginia game was shut down. I um, I was all for it because you know you don't want the virus, obviously. But to see them then turn around and schedule Gonzaga, who is looks like after this week weekend is clearly the best team in the country. Meanwhile, Villanova is playing St. Joe's. It's like a little bit of a missed opportunity, but you know, that's fine. I did say last episode that if Villanova did fill in the Virginia spot with a big five game, I would have been okay with it, but it's one of those things that you say <laughs> and then it actually happens and you're not okay with it. So it's at the end of the day, whatever wins a win. Exactly. Wins a win. And we are now, Eight games in, just need five more, Chris, to reach that postseason eligibility, get that locked in. So I'm feeling pretty good. But just five more, that's all we need. Yeah, and we got, got one coming up against Marquette, obviously, the, on the 23rd, but one went away with the one game against St. John's. I don't know if you want to talk about that now or later, but that, that one seems to be off the board. Yeah, we can talk about that now. We can talk about it now. I know that it's been a little bit of a hot topic, not so much to us rationally, thinking Villanovans and Wildcat fans here who have pretty, you know, some common sense. But I could tell from the internet, from my mentions, from my DMs, a lot of people around the college basketball world weren't too happy about it. So shortly after the Virginia game was officially off the books, Villanova makes another announcement over the weekend and states that the St. John's game on December 30 will not be happening. Jay Wright said that he just feels like his players need a break. They want a break. They reached out to the St. John's, mutually agreed. They agreed as well. It's one thing if one team wants it and the other one doesn't. But if both teams want a little extra days off for the holidays, can't blame them. I can't blame them. So I tweet out the news, and all of a sudden, we, I got angry people from I don't even know what fans or what teams they're affiliated with, but they're sitting here comparing Jay Wright to Coach K, ducking games, complaining about how, oh, he gets to control the Big East and the scheduling, or, oh, why does he get the power to do this? Why why is Val listening to him? Or, oh, I thought the, ske- the schedule just doesn't matter anymore. We can just take days off when we want. I-, I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, both teams easily consented to it. St. John's was also willing to take a couple days off. So what- what's the big deal? I mean, really, it's it's ridiculous. Not to mention, like, the kids wanted to go home. Like, a lot of people kill to go home in these bubble type environments right now. And, you know, I guess I get the anger, but like, come on, like, yeah. are we are we kidding here? Like, I would say, you, I think the anger is misdirected. Like, like you, people are mad for the reasons you said, I would think that people would be mad. Like, Oh, now they're going to go home to their families. And what if they have COVID and then they'll bring it back to the school and then they'll bring it to the team again. And like that, I get that. I kind of get, but if you take the necessary precautions, you test, you maybe uh, keep, keep everyone away from each other for a couple of days to make sure the tests come back negative. That I get. 
that's fine. Like do the, as long as the proper protocols are followed, I'm all for it. But to, to, to suggest that Villanova is essentially ducking St. John's and, and that Jay Wright controls the big East because they want to go home for Christmas in a hell of a year. Like you gotta be kidding me. That that's just so absurd. And so like tin hat, like I, I, that's probably one of the craziest Twitter takes I've seen in a while. And Twitter is known for their wild takes. Yeah. And it's not even like, the Coach K situation where he was just saying, all right, screw the rest of the non-con schedule. We're going home. I've had enough. Right. Yeah. Jay's Clearly, not saying, oh, yeah. yeah. It was <laughs> a mutual decision between two teams to postpone, reschedule for another day. So I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. We, we were going to play it if St. John's wanted to play it. St. John's actually wanted to do the same thing that we did. They felt like their guys needed a break. So we called them first. If they would have said, no, we want to play, we were going to stay and play, you know, out of, out of respect for them. But they said, no, this is good for us, too. We need to take a break. And we, we wanted to take a break. But we didn't want to do it at the expense of someone else that was counting on us. Especially in such a weird year like this, 2020. Like, come on. Of all the curveballs to get upset at, I, yeah. I don't see what's wrong with two teams agreeing to this versus Coach K storming off, taking the basketball home, and saying, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> Yeah, he's like the kid in the sandbox who just yeah. dribbling the toys and ruining <laughs> yeah. the fun for everybody. But yeah, you're right, exactly. though. You're, you're right. You're 100% right. Like, Philadelphia's not coming off a five-game losing streak, and Jay's all upset and wants to just avoid St. John's because he just thinks St. John's is going to steamroll him. If anyone, if we're going to talk about ducking people, we should talk about St. John's agreeing to the dismissal of the game or the postponement of the game, I should say, because they don't want to get rolled by Villanova. How about that? Maybe we, maybe we just flip it on its head a little bit. Maybe people should be mad at St. John's for even agreeing. Not that not Jay Wright. <laughs> but no, I, I'm kidding on, on that, obviously. But come on. But Coach K's thing was a whole different league, a whole different, you know, mindset. This is just people want to go home and see their families. Like, let's can we get on board with that. And this year, a little bit of perspective would be nice. Yeah. Like, I think all the Villanova fans listening to this are going to be like, yeah, I don't see what the big deal is. I mean – you know, give the guys a couple more days for the holiday season. What's the big deal? And, oh, so we asked St. John's and they said, okay. Oh, okay, so what's the big deal? But, of course, you know, Twitter's got the trolls. Twitter's got the trolls. <laughs> There's never a shortage of that. There's a reason why I'm off that app now. <laughs> you, and a, you and a bunch of other people I know. Yeah, I know you have to do it, but, man, God bless. I still like the chaos. I still like the chaos. I, I prefer chaos, too, but that's there's, that is not chaos. That is... <laughs> That's just aggravation. Toxic waste yeah, yeah. <laughs> of nonsense. So anyways, back to the St. Joe's game. Virginia's off. No St. John's game. We got St. Joe's over the weekend. Saturday night tip-off. A little late. A little late, but hey, you know, I get it. We weren't the big game anymore, so we got bumped to the 9 p.m. time slot. For those who did stay up late and got to watch Jeremiah Robinson Earl go off in a mask, that was pretty sweet. Mask band with a super performance. Dialing up 25 points, seven boards, six assists to lead the Cats in a pretty much a balanced effort all around. You also had three other Wildcats in double figures with Caleb Daniels supplying 17 points and five boards. Justin Moore, nice all-around game. Probably got slept on a little bit because of how good JRE was, but Moore had 18 points, six boards, seven assists, only one turnover. And then Jermaine Samuels had a nice all-around game as well, just providing when he needed to getting some boards. He had 12 points, eight rebounds, and a nice 88-68 to 68 win over St. Joe's. As we mentioned, they pulled away in the second half. But I credit a couple of the St. Joe's guys, especially Taylor Funk. He was draining some threes. He was going off a little bit. He had 17 points, as did Jordan Hall, who also had 17. Ryan Daly, he carved Villanova last year for 32 points. Local guy. I'm not going to slander him too much. His mom follows me on Twitter. And I- but... <laughs> He had 11 points, had five boards. Solid game. It seemed like Villanova definitely keyed in on him a little bit more after when he had that stellar performance where he just single-handedly carried the Hawks last year. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to not have a repeat of that. Yeah. I mean, Daly was you – know, he put up 11 points, like you said, but he wasn't that much of a factor, all things considered. Taylor Funk hitting a couple of contested threes was a little frustrating. Four of eight from deep from him. But it was like – he kind of kept it a little bit too close for comfort, as I mentioned earlier, but – I mean, 
when you've got Jeremiah Robinson all going off for 25, Justin Moore probably having his best game of the season or one of his best games of the season going off for 18. Caleb Daniels could, couldn't miss on Saturday night, dropping 19. Like, when you got those three guys rolling, Taylor Funk and Ryan Daly could do whatever they wanted. They're, they're not going to beat Villanova. I mean, and Jermaine Samuels, too, dropped 12. Like, he had a pretty decent game, too. Like, low-key, decent game. And I'm pretty happy with that. He led the team in rebounding with eight boards. I mean, I was very, very happy for him. And, you know, the whole starting lineup played pretty well. I mean, Colin had a little bit of a downer, three of eight, one of five from deep. But, like, when everyone's rolling like that, just defer. Who cares? <laughs> like, let, let everyone else do their job kind of uh, in, in the leadership point guard role. It's, it's a lot easier to do that. So that was perfectly fine. And I have to say, as a whole, Eugene, you pointed out this stat to me before. But Villanova turned the ball over nine times this game, which seemed to be pretty low. And you mentioned to me that Villanova is second best in the country in turnover rate right now. And that, to me, is a big, big improvement from what I feel like in years past where we always kind of complained about turnover. Yeah, or especially early in the season, you would see where maybe turnovers could be a problem. But this year, they've been doing a great job of taking care of the ball, especially on a short preseason. We weren't sure what to expect or, you know, how much rust would we see. So far, through eight games, taking great care of the ball. Huge shout-outs to Catherine Charter. She pointed that out to me in her three takeaways against the St. Joe's Hawks, which is now live on VU Hoops. But I was just kind of reading her draft, and I was like, whoa, where'd you find this stat? Then she, boom, posts the link. And yeah, number two in the country, fewest turnovers, only 0.4 per game behind Wisconsin. So very good, very good, very good. Yeah, and I mean, the starting five only turned it over five times. One from Jerry, two from Samuels, one from Moore, one from Gillespie. Like, that's pretty good ball control. Three of the nine came from Dixon, who had a little bit of a downer. Well, he wasn't that effective offensively, but he did go to the line, hit a couple shots, did make one shot from the field. I mean, he did look – he looked okay in spurts, didn't look so okay in other spurts. The bench as a whole kind of didn't do all that much. Swire was only one of five from the field, one of four from deep. And then Slater, unfortunately, had to deal with a back injury, which held him out for pretty much the entire game. So the bench wasn't able to get rolling. But like I said, when you got three of your five starting lineup dropping 15-plus and the other – one of them is dropping another uh, another 12 on top of that, like, you don't really need the bench to contribute that much. No, no. And especially with the game that Villanova had, nice balanced performance where everybody was just pretty much doing well. Nice 20-point margin of victory. Sure, it got a little close in the beginning or that moment where whenever Villanova looked like they were going to pull away, St. Joe's came back with a little run of their own. But once the Wildcats went on that 17-2 to run, that was it. They just buried them right then and there and held on for the comfortable win. It's improved to 7-1. and one. Yeah, good start to the year. And also, with JRE's performance dropping the 25 in the mask, I think we have finally expelled all the demons of Joe Cremo's mask performances, Eugene. Well, Kyle Gillespie also had a mask at one point. Someone pointed that out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, how could I forget about that? I forgot about that. My bad. But now that JRE dropped 25, I think think that's okay. Is JRE better with the mask or without the mask? Uh, I don't know, but I bet your first – First take, we'll have a full-fledged debate <laughs> on it. <laughs> we need those ESPN guys to put something together, put a little package together on, is he better with or without the mask? Yeah, They're just like they did with LeBron when he had his white and black masks. And is LeBron black. better with or without the mask? And when he wears a mask, <laughs> should it be the clear mask or the black mask? Oh, it's great. Which superhero does he remind you of? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, ESPN. I'm, I'm glad that I listened to 30 minutes of this. Mm, yes, thank you. And now you wonder why your subscribers are significantly down. Can't figure out why, but but I, you know, it is what it is. I was just waiting for the day 2K were to add a mask feature and it bumps up your overall rating by two or something like that. Fortunately, that hasn't happened. No, not yet. Not yet. Don't give we'll, ideas. We'll get there one day. But if JRE keeps playing like this, never know. Yeah, he's been a monster so far, but it was great to see him with the mask. Cool little story, though. Let's hear what JRE said about him wearing a mask. Um, so it was in the Butler game on Wednesday. And I can't remember, like, how I got hit, but I remember going up for a rebound, and then somebody went up as well, and I think just an elbow just hit me in the, hit me in the nose. And I, I knew exactly when, when it happened. I broke my nose. And I've done it before. I broke my nose before in like eighth grade. So the mask I was wearing today was from eighth grade. So it's one that I've already worn before. But it's it's different. 
for sure. But I think you're so concentrated on the task at hand, it doesn't really bother you as much as it might look. My mom lives in the area and she was like, she, when it happened, she was like, oh, he's gonna need his mask. And he's, she was like, where is it? And she, she's good at remembering where she puts things and she went right into a closet, right into a basket, it was right there. So she just dropped it off and I was able to get it from her. Chris, mom's always know best. Mom's always know best. Still had his mask from eighth grade the last time he previously broke his nose. I don't know how you keep that. I mean, hey, but it came in handy, and clearly it might be might be some good luck here. I hope so. I hope so. Hope, hope it becomes a thing. Hope it becomes a team mantra. And it did. It, the mask did look a little tight on his face at, at first. I was like, oh, okay, sure, I'll I'll roll with it. And I guess this is the team mandated mask. But after hearing that, it it, it makes sense now. Might have to be sense. like Rip Hamilton. Just have it on yeah. at all times. <laughs> hey, Rip Hamilton had a great career. Uh, hey. Jerry becomes Rip Hamilton. I mean, obviously two different, completely different players, but you get my point. But, but yeah, that's, that's a great story right there. And also, I, I, we kind of – and it wasn't intentional. We kind of overlooked the Jerry injury because it happened so, like, nondescriptly. Like, he was playing with his nose, like, during the game, and I'm like, okay, I don't know. I guess he's just having – Yeah, there was, like, a one a clip that there. caught it. But I was like, oh, he just took a bad elbow to the face. But I guess it was that bad. Right. Yeah, I didn't really think much of it. And then the next thing you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Jerry's hurt. I'm like, come on. Why? <laughs> oh, every time. <laughs> once, a, once or twice a year. At least something it didn't that, happen in practice. Yeah, that's true. I did say that. I did say that uh, those practice injuries are really racking up. But now you get that one, although it seems to be very uh, easy to play through. And then you get – but now you got Slater's injury on top of that. Only the practice injuries are devastating. That's where the real <laughs> damage comes. Right. It feels it feels like when they go out and they play and they suffer an injury, God forbid, but like they do that and it's like, oh, you know, well, it was worth it. In practice, it's like, how do you do this in practice? <laughs> it's, it's like uh, they did this one drill to practice balance and agility where they form a human pyramid and one guy falls off from the top and it's like, broken hand again. <laughs> It's like, oh, that that explains it. That explains it. <laughs> so next up for the Cats, we have a game against the Marquette Golden Eagles. We're on the road, heading over to Milwaukee, Wednesday night tip-off. Back to Big East play, Chris. Back to Big East play. It's a little bit of a venture into the non-con portion, obviously. Uh, obviously, you would have liked to add Virginia instead of St. Joe's, but this is 2020, and that's what's going to happen. But you got wins over Georgetown. You got wins over Butler. Hoping to make it 3-0 and and continue a good start into the Big East. As we know, Xavier is kind of running through the Big East, doing pretty well. So you got to keep up with these guys, you know. And also you want to build a little bit of a lead on Creighton, who suffered a, a setback last week against the team that we're just about to play in Marquette. Those Creighton-Marquette games have been wild over these last few years. But the Golden Eagles overall this season, 5-4 and four going in. They're coming off back-to-back losses, one to Seton Hall, and then one on Sunday, which, by the way, Sunday's slate of Big East games were – absolutely bonkers at least the first three of the four the st john's Georgetown game was cool for the rivalry aspect but the first three yeah two go to overtime one to the final minute the xavier game ends in a buzzer beater after kobe McEwen put together an insane four-point play to tie the game in the closing seconds then bang adam kunkel sends the musketeers home keeps him undefeated marquette distraught down loss five and four they're gonna host villanova Chris, we know how they are in the Pfizer form. They feel a lot better when they play at home. What can we expect from this year's Golden Eagles? Who should we watch out for? What's the story on them? Well, this is your typical Marquette team and a typical Marquette team coached by Wojo. 17th in adjusted offense right now and a not-so-good adjusted defense where they are ranked 70th right now out of the qualified 300-something team, 350-something teams. So their offense is really good. Their defense is really bad, as is predicted year in and year out. Uh, Their leading scorer right now is Kobe McEwen, as you mentioned earlier. He had a big game against Xavier. He's averaging about 15 points a game. Dawson Garcia, the freshman who we highlighted big time in our, our Big East preview, he's having a great start to the year. 13 points, six boards. The dude could do it all as a forward. Ohio State transfer DJ Carton came in and has seemed to fit in pretty well, averaging 12 points, leading the team with 3.8 assists per game. Between those three, that's a lot of scoring, a lot of assists, a lot of rebounds. 
But also you got Jamal Kane, who's been a Marquette regular for the past few years. He's averaging just a shade under 10 points a game. And Justin Lewis is the other big freshman for them who has 8.6 points a game. A little bit of a, uh, I don't know, contention right now between Wojo and him. There was a whole thing where he was benched one game and then the fans were pissed and now I think he's playing more or something, something along those lines. His, and it's, he's averaging about 21 minutes right now, which if you look at the Marquette regulars is toward the bottom. Freshman with a lot of potential and has played very well in the few game, in the, in the nine games that he's played. And then also our buddy, Theo John, still there. Super senior, averaging about eight points a game. Apparently he's developed a three-point shot now. I, I saw early in the year he was hitting a lot of threes. He leads the team in, with 6.7 boards a game. So between those few guys, a lot of options. And then they also have Greg Elliott as well. I can probably list off the whole roster if I really wanted to. Marquette has a lot of options with scoring, but their defense is just a lot left to be desired. And that's what you got to expect from a Lojo team. Yeah, I will give them credit, though, that they were able to still continue to have such a great offense, even without Marcus Howard. But one major adjustment that you have noticed is between the Marquette teams of the last couple of years and this year, not so much a run-and-gun team anymore. They slow it down way more, and I guess that's what helps them kind of dictate the pace since they don't have that all-big East or that one of the top scorers in the, that the conference has ever seen, period, in Howard. But they've been adjusting. The defense still leaves a lot to be desired. Their interior defense is pretty good, but the perimeter defense is not so good. The other thing, too, that Villanova should watch out for is they turn the ball over a lot. And if we look at that St. Joe's game, they did a great job of punishing their opponents for making those mistakes, creating 21 points off turnovers, off 15 Hawk giveaways. So I have a feeling we might see a similar result here where we see Villanova just kind of poach off those mistakes, turn them into easy baskets. Hopefully they lock down on the three-point line. A lot more balance this year. That Kobe McEwen guy, he was a problem for Villanova last year at the Pfizer Forum. Hopefully he doesn't go off this time. Dawson Garcia looking pretty good for a freshman, I must say. But, Chris, let's hear it. What's your prediction for Wednesday night? What are you thinking? Well, if there were fans, I would be pretty scared of this game. Very scared. Probably would even pick Villanova to lose. No fans, though. And Marquette already selling its soul for its two wins, its two ranked wins on the year, which they always do. They already got those in. So I say Villanova wins this one. And I think they go out to Wisconsin and they finally win at Pfizer. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue. I think Villanova wins by double digits. Yeah, it's definitely one of the tougher places to play at in the conference. But like you mentioned, Chris, no fans. I wonder how they do. I am pretty confident in Nova. Uh, I think Villanova should pull this one out. Maybe, you know, an eight or nine point game could probably be a little more closer than expected. I do give this Marquette team credit. They have seemed a lot more tough than I imagined without Marcus Howard, but they've been able to make it work. Some young guys are stepping up. Hopefully they won't step up too much against Villanova and we can hand them their third straight Big East loss. Villanova improves, hopefully, to eight and one. And then we can all go into Christmas all happy and jolly. I hope so, Eugene. JRE versus Theo John is going to be a thing of beauty. Uh, fake tough guy against a real tough guy in a mask. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was going to say, can you clarify for the jury uh, <laughs> who the real and fake tough guy are? <laughs> but yeah. The mask yeah, superhero versus the fake tough guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a fun one. It's it's going to be fun. It, these games are always fun. Say what you will about Wojo. His type of play leads it to a much funner game than what most games should be. <laughs> yeah, I know I know the Marquette fans aren't, you know, too thrilled with him for his lack of postseason success, but I, I kind of like Wojo. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. And as, we, as I constantly make the joke of, they always sell their soul for the win against Villanova, and then they, constant, and then they just stink the rest of the year. Well, they beat number four Wisconsin, who – I still don't know how they beat and a lot of ref ball was played there. And then they beat, uh, beat Creighton at Creighton. Yeah, that was an impressive one. That was a real impressive one. And then in typical Wojo slash Marquette fashion, they follow that up, like you said, with back-to-back losses to Seton Hall, of all teams, and Xavier. Yeah, one like, heartbreaking buzzer beater. <laughs> right, and in, in the most painful way possible. But they're just a very polarizing team and – you know, they have the offensive firepower to beat those teams like Wisconsin and Creighton, but then when it, you know, you get in a tough game against Seton Hall or Xavier, it's like, all right, like 
sometimes you just falter. I just expect DJ Carton to go off. That's what, that's what I'm feeling. I'm, oh, feeling wow. a big, I'm feeling a big game from DJ Carton. He's going to be a problem. He's going to be like, oh, you know, we played these guys last year you know, at Ohio State. We beat them by a lot. I'm going to do the same thing here. And I think he's the one that goes off for Marquette. But then I think Justin Moore uh, carries Villanova to a victory here. So and There you have it. There you have it. We'll be watching. It'll be on Christmas Eve Eve this Wednesday, 7 p.m. tip-off. You can catch it on Fox Sports 1. Thankfully, it's on 9 p.m. tip, Chris. Uh, I forgot how much I dislike them. Unless if I'm at the arena personally, like, <laughs> way too late. Wow. Yeah, that was a, a real late one. Thankfully, I was up and about watching some football. But, you know, it, it you can't do the 9 o'clock starts. It, it's, too, it's too late. Or us old people got to get to bed, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Maybe in my younger years, I didn't mind it as much, but wow. <laughs> and it was a Saturday, too. I felt like such a weenie. Like, the game was over, got off the Zoom with Jay, and then before I knew it, it was like midnight, and I was like, wow, it feels like 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just life in quarantine and just getting older, I guess. Now, Chris, before we move on to the questions, I do want to take one quick dive into the AP polls. We have the Cats back in the top five. They are now moving on up. They were previously ranked number seven. Now they are ranked number five, right behind Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas, and Iowa. Also in the Big East, you have Creighton. After they took their L, they dropped a little bit from nine to 13. And Xavier, welcome to the top 25. They weren't ranked last week, but they're now sitting in there, number 22, 8-0, undefeated start. Probably a lot better than we thought they were going to be. But they've been playing tough. And you got to give them credit, and I'm glad to see another Big East team with us in the ranked conversation. Yeah, it's it's good to see another one in there, and it's one team that, like you said, Eugene, I don't think we really expected to be there at all. I mean, a great start, though, to the year. 8-0, rising through the ranks. Like, they're doing everything in the power. They're beating good teams, you know, win, winning on miracle shots. Maybe it's Xavier's year. You never know. <laughs> but uh, with that comes uh, the fact that there are no other Big East teams receiving votes anymore. I know we've had a couple in that section for a while, like Providence and Marquette, but they have now since dropped off that front. Uh, also on Villanova's end, Virginia Tech's back in the top 25, and Texas is now at 10. So those two games looking better and better despite one being a loss. And then at my personal favorite, Rutgers, number 11, up <laughs> eight. And I know, I know someone, I think it was John Paul May suggested that maybe we play Rutgers in, you know, in that Saturday slot. And I think they were booked because they ended up beating a very good Illinois team. But I, I really said that because I, I just, I just, I was just afraid, Eugene. I, I want to duck them. I don't want to lose to Rutgers. That would just look awful. <laughs> but it's now a, it's a lose lose. It's a lose lose. <laughs> it is. It is. It's like, it's like, oh, like who cares? Like what the number is next to them at this point? It's like if you lose to Rutgers, you lose to Rutgers. Like it's always <laughs> going to have that stigma to it, and you don't want to deal with that stigma. So if you beat a number eleven Rutgers team, it's going to be like, all right, well you beat Rutgers, congratulations. But if you lose to Rutgers, it's like oh you lost to Rutgers, who cares? Always a stigma around that the red R there yeah avoid, I, avoid that i've got a couple of illinois people in my twitter timeline and when they lost it was exactly that feeling it was that i don't <laughs> care what they could be one two three ninety nine three hundred fifty one you can't lose to Rutgers. You right just can't. No, you, you just you can't. can't but hey that ron harper jr son of ron harper mike uh, michael he's Jordan Bull, ron harper he's yeah, he's, he's going off Don Bosco Prep alum, Ron Harper, doing great. The other thing, too, with the Big East, and we got a glimpse of that on Sunday, if you forgot what the conference was like, wow, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, and there's going to be a lot of surprises, a lot of cannibalizing. So I'm not surprised that, you know, unfortunately, we only had three teams in the top 25 and none in the receiving vote section. But with the way that it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for some of these Big East teams to get on the receiving votes section especially with the way that it's just rock, paper, scissors, or teams just cannibalizing each other. Yeah. It, I feel like this is the year for all that type of the stuff that happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. And it's and COVID related stuff and just everything in general, just the teams being better and closer this year than in years past. Unfortunately for DePaul though, they haven't even gotten to play a game yet. So, you know, it could always be worse. It, we could always be in a worse situation. Yeah, I know. That's I that's for them, for them. I, yeah. I do. I really do. Like no one, no, no program, no person deserves to go through the hell they've been going through. But if we had to pick a team that was going to happen to, <laughs> just in terms of bad luck, 
head to them. Yeah, what is it now? A month of college basketball, and they haven't even got to play a single game yet? That's, that's Nada. Yeah, that's awful. Brutal. So Feel when bad. people complain about the scheduling and too many games at one time, just remember, you could be zero games a month into the season, and you know you don't want that. You don't want to not make the postseason because you couldn't reach 13 games. Right. All right, Chris, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. Chris, we got a few in here. Are you ready? Let's do it. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod. Leave your question in the comments section. Regardless, either way, it'll get to us. This first set of questions is from John Palmay. Number one, he wants to know, have Jay Wright and the staff finally addressed the inbounding issue? Uh, <laughs> don't don't want to jinx it. Still, because there's still plenty of basketball left. But I have noticed that with having plenty of guards and ball handlers, the inbounding seems a lot easier. Seems like no matter how hard they opposing teams, you know, cover the guys that are receiving the pass, they can always kick it back out to the guy who inbounds it in the first place, and then we dribble, break the press, blah, blah, blah. But I do not want to jinx whether or not it has finally been addressed. Only eight games in, so can't do it yet. Can't do it yet. This has kind of become like a Beetlejuice issue where yeah. <laughs> we talk about it too many times that it'll appear. So I'm just going to say, so far, so good. We're eight games in, a lot of ball game left. But so far, I, I think they've kind of figured it out. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we've been asked this a couple of times already. and We're just kind of like, without naming the thing, they're very good <laughs> at throwing the ball when it's on the baseline into teammates onto the court. Yeah, that that process is thumbs up okay so far. <laughs> avoid, avoid talking, please. And his second question is, are the cameras at the fin moved to the opposite side or have they moved the benches and inverted the center court V? They moved the benches. They didn't invert anything. The court is exactly set up as you would normally expect during game day. It's just they moved the benches over to the other side and you can't see it, but underneath where the cameras are, you know, that upper deck section, there's like nothing there. There's so much space for both teams to just kind of spread out, be socially distant. And I guess it's a little more appealing to the camera because I have seen some schools or some places where they'll have, you know, you could see that the bench kind of stretched back in the background. But here, I guess you kind of hide everything. Yeah, it threw me off a little bit when they first when the fir- uh, Yeah, the first, first game, the game was strange. Going. Yeah, I was like, whoa, where's everybody? <laughs> yeah, it was a little, a little threw me off a little bit, and I was like, "There's something off here." And I was like, "Oh, benches, right? Can't see anybody." But it makes sense because I know that section it got pushed back. So then, like you said, everything was uh, able to be spread out and keep the six feet and whatnot. So yeah, good job on them for figuring that out. Yeah, Jay Wright said that he had no say in that. He just said that he was told that it would be better for spacing, and it definitely is. It looks like it is. Of course, you can't see it on the TV broadcast, but they got a lot of room down there. Yeah, bad year to be on the bench mob and cheering and doing some fun stuff. Yeah, it's got to be weird <laughs> trying to inject energy from, like, three three rows back. Yeah, you don't even get the TV time, though. That's what I was going for. Yeah, sp- yeah, spaced out. It's like, yeah, you can't get any bench reactions at the pavilion. No, no it's a shame. But it had to be done. And John Palmay's last question is, what's more headache-producing, the FS1-injected crowd noise or Dickie V? Excellent question. As much as I hate the crowd noise, I don't know, man. Dickie V and his sayings, it is a very thick accent. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's it's a, The crowd noise is giving Dickie V a very close competition, I must say. And I the mean, other thing, too, with Dickie V is, like, you know, sometimes I convince myself, like, oh, he's not that bad. Like, you know, he's just, he's just a, go- a jolly guy. But then you know, you go through, like, the first 10 minutes of a broadcast, and it's like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's a it's a little bad. But I, I used to love him, like, back like, like back when we were, like, middle school, high school. I thought he was great. And then, I don't know, I think my disdain for ESPN just kind of took over anyone who ever worked there. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I just automatically hate you. Well, not hate. That's a little bit of a strong word, but dislike. So, the crowd noise, though, it's it's, it's a lot so of sports. So yeah, I don't like it. I, like I, I see it in like other sports too, like not just college basketball. And I just think it's so weird. It it is. It is, and it isn't. Like there's sometimes where I'm okay with it, and it, like you don't even realize it. 
I think Fox football in general has done a pretty good job. Baseball, when they tried to do like the crowd noise plus the 3D fans, that was a little awkward. But it's not great. They got to figure that out a little bit. I'm sure they'll figure it out, work out the kinks, and they'll be fine. But like, they, it was weird though because when Aaron Thompson suffered that injury against Butler, they had the crowd noise going and then they shut it off, and it was just like dead silence, and it like took you out of it like real quick. But like, I mean, obviously you had to shut it off because the dude was down with the injury. But yeah, it's just it was a little weird. So I, I'm I'm assuming this is like early production, working out the kinks stuff, and maybe they'll make it sound a little bit better. But right now, it's not good. I will say the the thing that is really weird is how they still blast crowd music or they still have the video packages or they still have the announcer, you know, still going, Jeremiah Robinson, oh, four, three. And it's like, there's no one else there. It's like, it's like, like that to me was so weird. And I even noticed that, for example, with the Big East tournament last March before everything got shut down and they played that one half of basketball, empty arena, and they still had all like, all right, everybody on your feet. And it's like, there's nobody here. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, you're still playing music, like blasting music. It's, it's it's so awkward, but uh, (laughs) back to John's question. I I think the, the injected crowd noise, I find that to be a little worse than Dickie V just for right now. Cause I find it so awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. But to the point where the PA announcer though, I kind of like it. I still like it. (laughs) <laughs> gotta keep guys in business. I mean, come on. This is yeah. This oh is yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's great that we're like you know keeping keeping the man on on payroll. I guess you could you could do without some of it, but you definitely can yeah. Use, like the the yeah. DJ yelling, throw up your V's. Like, <laughs> can we not? DJ 007, the man who loves his job. That's the name. I was looking for it, could not find it. That's his name. I forgot about him. Yeah. No. No more of that. Uh, how could you forget that guy when he was uh, stalling, oh, I remember him. stalling I remember. <laughs> for every single Hoops Mania performer that came in late, which was every single time? Every year. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him very well. I just could not remember the name. I remember his uh, all his sayings and all his antics. <laughs> very underappreciated. Next question is from Scott Ulmer. I love the presence of Dixon in the middle. As time goes on and he shows signs of consistency, will we see more of him? I definitely think so, especially now that we're seeing that Demir Cosby Roundtree is going to take a little bit more time than expected. You know, I'd love to see more of him, and I think it's great that he's getting early experience. No doubt in my mind, you know, if he shows to be up for the billing, up to task, we're going to definitely see more of him down the stretch or later on in the year. Yeah, I, I think consistency is the key word there. If You know, he's you've seen a couple of games where he looked pretty good. St. Joe's, he looked a little off. You know, it he'll work through it. Still young, fresh, redshirt freshman, and I, when he does figure out that consistency and takes that like next step, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> There's gonna be a man child down there and work over everybody. Yeah, but you can so, already see that he has the physical tools, but once everything else catches up to that, oh, yeah, it's it's gonna be fun to watch. But hopefully, and maybe maybe it happens this year. Maybe it doesn't. I lean towards not. But as of right now, probably solid bench piece, and then. Hopefully next year and the years to come, he's just a solid center that does it all and can hopefully maybe develop a little bit of a three-point shot too. He's, he's kind of dabbled with. Yeah, I was a huge fan of him in high school, but to just see the transformation that he's done during his retro year is like, wow, night and day. Yeah, Jack fit, man. Next question is from Trey Hoffner. Any word on the Slater injury? Trey, fortunately, it doesn't seem to be that bad, but let's hear straight from Jay himself. Slater got hurt in the uh, in the first half. Remember that that play um, where he went up to block a lob, and he came down. He hurt his back. Now we're thinking it's spasms. Like he, he was going to try in the second half, and then we didn't need him, so we didn't want to push it. Chris, it sounds like he wanted to go in second half of St. Joe's, but with the double digit lead, you're going against St. Joe's. Looked like Jay wanted to just play it safe and save him. So that leads me to believe it's not that serious. Happen to agree. You, you see this all the time, every other sport. Teams up big or big enough where you feel comfortable. And there's a guy has a little bit of an injury, says I can go back in. Coach tells him no. Sit him out. He'll be back by, by the next game, hopefully. Hopefully he'll be ready for Marquette. And if he's not, he'll definitely be back after the Christmas break. So I'm not too, I'm not worried. 
Yeah, exactly. Didn't seem too serious. Hopefully that's the case. We'll see him on Wednesday night, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Next question is from Brendan Riley. He wants to know, with no home crowds in Big East play, what is the percent chance that Nova can pull off the first ever undefeated Big East regular season? Chris, you touched mm-hmm. upon it a little bit, you know. With the Pfizer form being empty, you're not as afraid as you were before had this been under normal circumstances. But let's take that and cover the whole Big East conference with empty arenas. How are you feeling now? What percent chance do you give Nova going undefeated in Big East play? Mm. It's a great question. So far, it doesn't seem like there's much of a change. I still feel like the home teams are still holding up, regardless of the the fans or not. I am hesitant to give a percentage chance because the last time we gave a percentage chance on something, Eugene, a pandemic happened. So a little scared to do that. But I will say I, I think the chances are pretty good, but I still think the rest of the Big East is too good to not maybe knock off Nova once or twice. I'd, I'd give it like 20, 25% chance as of right now, the way I kind of feel about this team and the way I feel about the rest of the Big East. But I, it could end as quickly as this Wednesday. So. so going undefeated is obviously very, very difficult. Not easy, even though we've seen a lot of great teams make it look easy. If you look at Ken Palm, Right now, he predicts, individually speaking, for every Villanova game from now until March 6th, which would be the season finale against Providence, he has Villanova winning every single one with the closest game being unsurprisingly at Creighton, where he gives Villanova a 52% chance of winning. Other than that, it's pretty solid, like a two-thirds, 60 or higher percent chance of winning. Now, do I agree with that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I think it's just – it's too hard to go undefeated. I just – you know, as much as I would love to see it, I think Nova gets caught sleeping by a random team maybe or even, you know, at, at the dunk or something. I'm going to still stick with – I'm going to uh, – I'm going to give Villanova a 1% chance because I don't want to rule it out. But uh, I will say I do feel confident that, that, that this team will go through conference play with no more than two losses. Okay. That's perfectly logically reasoned out, Eugene, I got to say. I, I still think Creighton knocks them off at least once. Like, I know Creighton's on a little bit of – not even a little bit of a skid. They lost to Marquette, but, like, I, I still feel like they're too good. Seeing Hall always gives Villanova a problem. We all know that. Like you said, the dunk's always a problem. There's just there's too many games, I feel like. But we'll just watch. Watching this crazy year. Villanova sweeps the Big East, and then the Paul's like, okay, guys, we're ready to play. And then they come out, and they knock Villanova off to end the perfect season. Just watch. <laughs> DePaul's one and only game of the whole season. <laughs> They're finally eligible to play, and they knock Villanova off. 30 just, for 30s for the next 10 years. <laughs> just watch. It would be miserable. DePaul but... drafts the 10-year extension for Dave Leto. <laughs> right then in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the joke's on us because DePaul ends up with the undefeated season, theoretically. 1-0. <laughs> but, and, and, factor, and on a serious note, though, I factored into my percentage is the fact that I do, I am kind of accounting for Big East games not being made up, and I could see that happening. We're like, like the St. John's game, let's say like it's not made up like because of COVID issues or something later down the road. Like, are they, like, that obviously is not going to contribute to the record, so therefore that's one less game to chop off. Oh and, and wow, to, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So it's always I, possible, especially could, once we get towards the end of the year, where there's not enough room, or there's not enough days, or not enough time to make up for it. Right, exactly. And I know we talked about it a few episodes ago that there are gaps in the schedule that do account for this, but I can see this totally going the Big Ten football route, where it's like, all right, eight weeks, eight games, and if uh, one's canceled, uh, that's it, you're done. So I, I can totally see it going that route too. And then therefore, I mean, Villanova might go undefeated, but it might be 12-0 and or 11-0, and you know, something along those lines. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with mine. Uh, you know, I just give it a yeah. nice 1% to 5%, probably closer to 1% just because it isn't easy to go undefeated, obviously. But also, it's always a random team. There's always one random loss there. Yeah, yeah. Next set of questions are from Jerry Quinn. 
And just looking at it right now, it looks like we've addressed his first two. His first question was your thoughts on postponing the St. John's game, which we talked about earlier in the show. And then number two, we touched upon in John Paul May's question where he, where Jerry wants to know, are either of you a fan of the fake crowd noise that is used now during games? Chris seemed a little more tolerable than I was based on your answer. Yeah, it's sometimes it's passable. Sometimes it's not. However, it seems a little off still. They're, they're working through the kinks. I think it could be better down the road. But this last one from Jerry is has not been answered, and he wants to know, what is the first place you want to go on vacation once COVID is under control and everyone has the vaccine? Chris, I've been thinking about this for a very long time. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even I'm, – I'm going to put together like an unrealistic timeline, but the first vacation – and I only say it's unrealistic because I don't know how fast this is going to theoretically go. But the first vacation I'd be taking, Chris, Final Four, 2021, <laughs> March. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't care how much the tickets are. If I can't get a press pass, I'm out. We out. <laughs> okay. Where is it this year? Is it in Minnesota or is that was that supposed to be last year? Uh, that's a that's another great question. I wasn't. <laughs> I think that might have been last year. Okay. So. So wherever it doesn't even matter where it is, you're just going. Yeah, like honestly, I've been thinking about this. Like the first, like how I'd want to spend like the first day or the first weekend free from COVID. I definitely have to go to some sort of sporting event and drink some adult beverages. Yeah, man. I, or like, even like I, a we, concert. Like I'd be down for that too. Like yeah. something. I, I 100% agree. Like, you know, we could throw out like random exotic places. Like, I don't know. Like, just could give the generic answer like oh i want to go to europe or i want to go you know backpacking through some asian countries or whatever it is right i just want to go to like a bar (laughs) i want to go to a sports bar and just watch some games i would love to go to a sporting event like the devil's stink but i would kill to go to prudential center and watch a hockey game right now like just like anywhere (laughs) that would uh have me with people again and you know feeling feeling good and feeling rowdy feeling happy you know Obviously, it's very unrealistic, but if it's very, it's it's not going to happen. But like, obviously, if like they could get the vaccines out in like the next two weeks, <laughs> I would go to Green Bay right now and go for a playoff game. Like, I would do something like that. That would be my vacation: Green Bay, Wisconsin, negative fifty degree weather. I'll take it. But just, I agree, Eugene. Just like some sporting event that just gets me away from here, and you know, you can go have some fun. Yeah, but if I if I did have to pick a destination, if we're going out of the country, yeah, I'm going to Europe. If we're staying in country, take me a little west coast, maybe some California, some San Diego, one of my favorite cities around. Or I've always wanted to go to Seattle. Shout out to Mike J. Always wanted to go. Never been. I hear it rains. Seattle's though. nice. Yeah, but I hear it's also pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. Nashville's a city the... I want to go to. Wait, what city? Nashville. Oh, that's a very cool city. Big fan. And Memphis, too, if you've ever been. That's a, that's a good city. I, ha- I have been to both. I have been to both, but obviously it was not of the age where it would be uh, at its most fun, you know. But, yeah, Seattle's cool, too. That's that's another fun one. Vegas. Wow. All the yeah, ideas are Vegas, coming to my yeah. mind now. All the Vegas. ideas are coming to mind now. Vegas is probably top of the list, actually. <laughs> you already know flights to Vegas and sporting event tickets and concert tickets – great day to be a ticket agent for either of those because they will be through the roof but they can oh, take yeah. all my money they can take all my money. <laughs> I, i'll pay every type of fee that there is last question is from jonathan grella should teams that haven't played in a given week be ranked that's a that, that's a good point like obviously like how could you like they're, they're non-existent they haven't played like i saw like forgive me if i'm wrong and Someone can correct me, but like I'm pretty sure Tennessee was like in the top 25 so like for a while, and they didn't even play a game. Yeah, like zero and zero. Yeah, and like I'm like, all right, that's a little odd. Like, how the heck do you know? But I, I think they sh- still should. Like, it's it, it, these polls. This is why I hate polls because it's like they're so sub- like subjective and a week to week thing. It's just like you can't. Re- it's never really a good grasp on anything in, in the long run. So, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but, like, I can see where John's coming from there. They really haven't played, so how can you really judge them? But then again, it, that's what you do with a preseason poll. <laughs> you know, you're just judging off hype. So I guess it just kind of holds 
for those teams that haven't played. Well, let's also look at it as how would you feel if a team hadn't played in 10 days? Like, should they still be ranked? Well, let's say they're 2-0, and didn't right. get to play for a week. Would they, would they still be ranked? Yeah, I, I would say so. Because, like, Gonzaga was off for a while. Like, wait, you're just, you're just going to completely drop them from the rankings? Like, they're Pretend clear. they don't exist. Pretend they don't exist. Like, they're the number one team. And then what happens when they do play again? Are you going to shoot them back up to one? So, I mean, in a different polling system, I would get that. But I, I feel like the way the poll's structured now, I just there's just you got you got to leave them. For example, the Tennessee example was a pretty good one because they were O and O for what the first two or three weeks, like that Some, felt a little yeah, strange. something like that. Yeah. I probably would have taken them off for the first week or the second week rather, um, mm-hmm. just to put teams that actually played. But they waited a while and now they're playing and they just completely thrashed St. Joe's last night, so can't really complain too much. <laughs> But in terms of teams that haven't gotten to play for a single week, we've seen this happen before, even in just a normal year where around this time the schedule starts to slow down as teams and schools go through finals or Christmas break. Like, for example, last year Villanova beat Kansas. Kansas at the time was number one. Huge win. But then they didn't play for 10 days. I wouldn't have bumped them down or anything like that or removed them just because they didn't play. I think that teams should still be ranked, but they shouldn't be able to back into a ranking. Like, let's say you were the number eight team and mm-hmm. you never got to play, but all of a sudden teams two, three, four, five, and six just lost. Like, you should not be able to bump up to number Good three. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's a fair compromise. Yeah, yeah you just... shouldn't be able to back into anything. Like, that. That's not. that's not fair. Right. But then, like, trying to convince a bunch of – Holsters to do that is would be complete madness. Graham Couch looking at you. <laughs> he he would put that team at one. <laughs> He'd bump them up on purpose. Just remember, remember though, Eugene, Michigan State doesn't lose those type of games. So ask for Northwestern all about it. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can find us at VU Hoops or State of the Nova Nation, and that's good for. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Megaphone, Stitcher, Podbean. You got many, many options. Your favorite podcasting platform, you can find us there. Check back, check off and on the site. We're just pumping out content over at viewhoops.com. So check back every day. Also, please follow the website on social media. You can do so at viewhoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And I'm Chris Dancy out. I got nothing to plug. Just everyone stay safe and have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday season. Yeah, Nova Nation, let's get this one on Wednesday night. We'll catch you back after the holidays. We're going to take a little bit of a holiday hiatus, so we'll see you in 2021. Stay safe. Enjoy the holidays. Have a great Christmas. Hope you get what you want. Enjoy New Year's, and we'll be back at it in January.